This is Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tasting. So this episode, we're going to be doing a wine podcast, and we're going to be doing sparkling wine. I'm super excited about this one. I don't know about so you am I. Oh, yeah, so am I. Yeah, we both love sparkling wine, and we're excited to share. Uh, I'm going to be doing the Argyle Vintage Brut from Argyle Winery out in Oregon. Dad, what are you going to be doing? I'm doing the Gerard Ferrard uh, that Thomas Jefferson's on the label. Uh, it's a very good Brut Rosé from France. Very cool. And for snacks, uh, we have some popcorn with salt and butter for mine. And we upgraded the French fries to being poutine. So we've got French fries covered in great brown gravy and uh, cheese curds. And then I have some palmiers with strawberries. Dad, what do you have? I have a smoked salmon spread on Melba toast. I also have the duck confit nachos that you can get at flyway and i also have some chocolate truffles which is a very traditional sweetness to go with your sparkling wine awesome i'm super excited especially about that duck confit so as you notice we may we have kind of pulled back our pairings a little bit we're going to kind of keep going with this three each uh, so it's going to be a little bit easier for you guys to follow along with and enjoy the podcast with us so all right we need to um so the cocktail cocktail episode last week was really fun. What did you think about it, Dad? Oh, I enjoyed it. Now I have a couple uh, corrections. The uh, you know the Rat Pack. You can look on the website and you can find a whole long list of people. And we talked about Nat King Cole, and I said, "Oh no, Josh." And we talked about Jerry Lewis, and I said, "Oh no, Josh." But the but the deal is, it depends on the time frame. Nat King Cole was one of the very original ones, and Jerry Lewis was one of the later ones. And one of the things that Josh said was, oh, there's a hangout crew. And that's really so true. There were so many of these guys going in and out, and also women that were honorary members, if you will, including Marilyn Monroe. And that might have to do with John F. Kennedy being brother in Lawford yeah and uh you know she was also just of the time and they were probably you know they liked to hang out with everybody that was around them and that was just part of the part of the crew and like you said it kind of sounded like there was some original and then it kind of grew and waned as people kind of went in and out of Vogue so one of the other corrections I had is when I was talking about the rusty nail and we're talking about the garnish uh you really don't need a garnish and I was talking about the more traditional garnish. And unfortunately, I said lime. But actually, it's a lemon. And I must have been thinking because more to my tradition is the lime wedge. So lemon is the more traditional garnish, but lime is what I like. So just a little correction there for you folks. And uh course you can do it any way you want to like we said you can do it neat you can do it up yeah i had a couple friends of mine dave and Catherine, out in nashville they actually kind of got together and listened and enjoyed the podcast together and they they really enjoyed the cocktails and Catherine said she loved rusty nail and she never had had one before and so she was like this is really cool to try a new cocktail and find one that you like so it was a it was a fun little episode i'm excited to do that one you know in Six weeks. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, cool. So um, last, at the last liquor pod, podcast, I blinded a spirit. Um, it was a brown 
It was a brown liquor. And I think I called it an Irish whiskey. So, Dad, what was the uh, let's reveal the blind from the last pod, the last liquor podcast? What was yeah, it? I think you're a hundred percent on these whiskeys, Josh, because you were right. It's a John Power Irish whiskey, and a little history about John Power. That this in back in the early days, like 1791, uh, John Power had an innkeeper. He was an innkeeper, and he had a, a hotel, if you would, and the pub, okay? So that was the original term. And he started making his whiskey, started out with like 6,000 gallons, which was huge back then. Yeah. At one point, they were making more whiskey than the Glenlivet in Scotland. Wow, looks like sounds like we'll have to do a Irish whiskey podcast sometime soon. That would be fun. This is my favorite one, and one of the one of the reasons it's my favorite. Your great grandfather, my mother's father, his name is John Powers Townsend. Oh wow! And so there's a little bit of a connection, and also I did uh, the check with the slobber and i came out a little bit irish so i'm happy with that there we go it just uh, reinforces the connection back to whiskey so you know by the uh, 1800s they were actually making 300,000 gallons of john power so that's huge yeah that i bet they were probably the largest distiller in in scott in ireland but anyway well, we'll have to get into that into in a an Irish whiskey episode, so because I'm ready to get into some of these sparkling wines. One little one little tidbit though is when you look at the bottle of the John Powers, you'll see a diamond shape, and it'll have a P for power, and that's that's where you can you know you found it if you're looking in the liquor store and you see that diamond with a red P in the middle. So look for that. Very cool. All right, so you ready to get into some of these sparkling wines? Yes, I am. All right, so I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go first. So, like I said earlier, I have the Argyle Brut, the Vintage Brut, um, out of Oregon. So this is in the Willamette Valley. Um, so that's the first like little note is it's not Willamette, it's Willamette Valley in Oregon, and it's just south of Portland. And I've heard it said Willamette. Damn it! Yeah, so that's, you can remember the phrase. <laughs> that's exactly what I was just about to say. I was like, "That's the way I way I remembered it once I first heard it was Willamette." Damn it! And now, every time I say Willamette, I think, "Damn it!" It's like after you see Rocky Horror and you see you, <laughs> right. Janet, Janet, <laughs> damn it, <laughs> or right. Brad, oh Brad. So it's just one of those things that kind of sticks in your head. But this one is a really good um, sparkling. It's one of my favorite American sparklings coming out of Oregon. Um, it's kind of really gold, like very light color. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of a straw, kind of a really light straw with some like kind of flexing green in it. The bubbles are great on it. Yeah, the legs are short. But legs that's okay. are legs are kind of hard. Um, first of all, these glasses are good and clean. Uh, but also legs are, can be a little bit difficult on the sparkling wines because the effervescence can kind of mess with how they stick to and run on the glass. And we're not using the flute traditional champagne glass, if you will. We're using a wine glass. Yeah, we're using the Riedel white wine glasses. And we really enjoy drinking our sparklings out of these because 
it allows the sparkling to kind of open up and for really for at least for me i can get my actually my nose in it when i drink so i can kind of fill out that whole thing it's it's got a really good taste yeah i really enjoy this one it's really bright really lemony kind of racy acidity um but with kind of an undertone of like tropical fruit and stone fruit i guess to me this one is really really good i get that lemongrass that little bit of straw but that's not a bad thing i shouldn't have said straw because that that gives a connotation of oh that's out of the barn no it's just lemongrass yeah, and it's got a good bready quality, bready and yeasty quality in this. And we'll kind of talk about where that comes from as we as we move forward. But so, um, like when we said earlier, I've got we've got some snacks with this. We've got some buttered and salted popcorn, and we have some poutine, which is uh, French fries covered in gravy and cheese curds, and some palmiers. So, Dad, you want to start getting into it a little bit? All right, popcorn's <laughs> right next to me. I think I'll try a little handful. Not too many. Yeah, and so this is one of the, my kind of things about sparkling wine in general is, you know, it can really, it's super versatile when it comes to pairings. Right. It can go, you know, from the beginning of the meal to the end of the meal, before the meal, after the meal. It's great. Anything like with salt and butter is really good. I'm so sorry. you salted the popcorn? Did you butter it? Yes, I used salted butter and, okay. and then kosher, very, kosher very salt. Very light, yeah. Yeah, I didn't put as much as I normally do because uh, yeah. I didn't want the butter to kind of drown out everything. And I used a, a kind of mixed popping corn. It's got different types of popcorn in it, and it's really good. So that saltiness is, is uh, like you said, is lightly salted. So it didn't really overpower the sweetness. I think if you put a lot of salt on it or a lot of butter, we would have had a conflict there, don't you? Yeah, it can. Salt is actually really good with sparkling wine. The effervescence and that acidity... It's going to help keeping your mouth water. So um, while he's taking another little swig, you know, we talked about the bubbles. I mean, that's one of the neat things about sparkling wines, you know, that that effervescence of the bubbles and your nose, and you get that floral from it. I mean, like we said, this glass just really helps you smell it. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, and the salt, salt really good, and the butter kind of rounds it out you know like i talked about this having like really linear really racy acidity some of that salt and the popcorn itself and the butter really helps to round out the wine but there's a lot of acidity in this which is really good but it kind of kind of runs through really quickly and kind of makes you want to just have more and more popcorn which for me is great not bad yeah what about a pommier yeah so the pommier is going to be good really good you know it's really sugar so pommiers if you don't know are basically puff pastry and sugar that are kind of rolled together and then cut. Um, Palmier in French means elephant ear. So they kind of look like two elephant ears put together or a heart or a heart shape. These are very salt or very sugary too. Yeah. So this is definitely a sweet pairing, which the acidity will also work with the sweetness and some of that fruit will probably come out with it as well. It does. Yeah. So a little bit about this wine. Um, Like I said, this is from the Argyle winery they're out in Dundee, Oregon. And one of the things that I really love about them is they actually started because they were going to make sparkling wine. Like that was why uh, Roland Souls went out to Oregon and started his winery where he did was because it's a cooler climate and that's what you want because the cooler climate helps to build a lot of acidity 
And he actually went to go, look, I'm going to make a really good sparkling out here. And he did. And, you know, it's fairly recent. The winery started in 1987, so it's actually younger than I am. Yeah. So it's really good. They grow all three of the main champagne grapes, you know, Pinot Noir, Meunier, and Chardonnay. They also grow some Gamay as well as some Riesling out there. But they they do it the right way. And it's it's really it's like it shows in the in what they put like you know this is not cooked stuff you know this is not right this is not mass produced this is really artisanally made and something that's different if you've ever had champagne they actually do a vintage bubble which means everything that goes into the bottle is from the same year whereas in champagne and other regions they'll actually blend years to get a particular taste. Argyle actually does a vintage one. So every year it's a new bottle, which I thought was really cool. Well, why don't they call it a champagne, Josh? I know the rule. Let's have our listeners understand it. So when it comes to sparkling wine, there's a lot of rules about naming. Um, Champagne has been around for a long time. And for a while there, the term champagne was co-opted by people who were not making great stuff. The champagne growers came together and said, you know what, we're going to make a law about this, that champagne can only come from the Champagne region of France. Well, some of the California houses kind of got... They got upset. Yeah, they did. They got their their feathers ruffled. And so they kind of grandfathered them in and they can call themselves California champagne. But there's only like, I think three houses that can call themselves California champagne. And one of them is Corbell. Um, who's been around doing this for a long time, but you know, 1987, this obviously, that's why they just call it a brute or they call it a sparkling wine. So it's, it's really good. Um, they kind of make all their viticulture choices based on knowing that they're going to make sparkling wine first. And if they're going to make good sparkling wine, they can make good other wine because they make, they make a straight Chardonnay and they make a straight Pinot Noir and they also do single or single vineyards. Because they only grow, they grow 400 acres out of four different, four different vineyards in, in the Willamette Valley, just south of Dundee or right around Dundee. Well, when I think of Willamette Valley, I think of Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. I don't really think of the, the sparkling or really anything else. Well, that's one of the cool things about where you can grow Pinot Noir. You can actually you can make good sparkling because Pinot Noir is one of the main main components in sparkling wine and so is chardonnay and both of those are cool climate grapes they want to be in cooler areas they don't want hot areas they would hate arkansas like they'd absolutely hate arkansas because it's just too oh, hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too hot most <laughs> grapes do unless you can find you know something in the higher elevations that stays cool but you know if you look at some of the latitude maps you know kind of a, a globe kind of a globe and where things are relative to each other the willamette valley in oregon is actually close to along the same line along the same latitude lines as burgundy so that's why you find a lot of the same burgundian style grapes in oregon because it's a lot of the same climate now the soils are very different but the climates are a lot the same so a lot of i mean oregon's known for great pinot noirs great chardonnays but i really love these guys because they're like nope we're going to do sparkling. We're going to make some bomb sparkling out here. And they do. They make. It's a, it's a good one. They make great sparkling. Plus you, plus, you get the cooler air from the Pacific. Yeah. Over in Lamet Valley. Yeah. So and I that's saw helpful. You, very helpful. And the price point on some of those Pinot Noirs over there are, are 40 and above. 
Now, what's the price point, Josh, of, of this uh, sparkling water? So this about? bottle will run you between 20 and $25. Oh, that's not bad I mean, at all. I think I bought it around 20 Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. a great deal, especially yeah. getting some good organ fruit on it. Yeah. Um, when you can buy, like, you know, Gloria Friar or Chandon from California for a couple dollars less, I would probably I'd rather go with this. I don't know that I've ever had this one before, Josh. It's very good. Tell us about those french fries, the curds. So, the poutine is great by itself. Pretty salty, seems like. Yeah, but it just, it, it really opens up the wine. Brings out more of the fruity characteristic of it. So, one of the things about poutine is I always have to have help when I make poutine because I cannot make gravy to save my life. There's girl- an art to it. There is. There's a soup, there's a, there's a big art to it, and my girlfriend... Jordan, she makes really, really good gravy, and we've actually, we've made poutine several times. We make gravy several times. You know, she loves gravy, so we're always kind of making it. Uh, this is actually brisket gravy. Oh, really? So we use brisket drippings and some of the brisket fat to actually make the gravy. And you can even, I mean, sometimes we even just put the the some of the shredded meat on top of it, but this time we didn't. I kept it just a little more traditional. Have you had chocolate gravy, Josh? I've actually never had chocolate gravy. Oh, it's big around here. Real <laughs> um, big. Yeah, so for those of you not listening from the South or not from the South, uh, chocolate gravy is a breakfast item here in the South. It's You have biscuits and chocolate gravy, and it's basically a chocolate sauce that's poured but on top. It's thick like gravy. <laughs> yes, but it has <laughs> the consistency of gravy. Right. You know, made with flour, butter, milk, and chocolate, basically, and... It's really good. I've actually never had chocolate gravy. Um, it's just not something like mom never made it. We never, no, really made, we no. never really made My it. Mom never up. made it either. It's not <laughs> something that we grew up with. Yeah, but it's it's but a big lot of people around love here. it. I know when it, when we moved down here from Kansas, people were like, "Oh yeah, I had some chocolate gravy." I'm like, "What are you talking about? What is, exactly? What is chocolate yeah, gravy?" So we have a friend from Greenbrier, and she just raves about it, and we. Met her and a couple other couples at uh, Greer's Ferry, and man, she she whipped some up, and man, it was good. Yeah, so so going back to the poutine, poutine is actually a Canadian dish. It is kind of like the Canadian drunk food. Um, most of the time, you know, looking around Quebec and Montreal, like Montreal area, you know, if you're stumbling out of a bar, places are going to be open. You're going to find poutine where, you know, kind of around here, it's you're going to go for a burger or if you really want to hurt yourself, you're going to go to Taco Bell. But it's kind of one of those, it's just one of those things that kind of, it kind of has something that's there to soak up the alcohol. You know, the gravy is going to be really rich, salty, it's going to help you process, process through stuff, French fries, starchy, you know, they're really good. When we're in Jasper, there's a lot of people serving poutine. I'm not sure. Maybe it's Irish, too. Jasper, Wyoming? No, Jasper, Canada. Oh. Jasper National Park. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's Canadian. I don't think it's actually Irish. It may just be, you know, in Irish Irish immigrant areas yeah. of Canada. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, this is really good wine. Yeah. So a little bit more about Argyle, because I just think they're, they're a great company. Um, you know, they're really focused on the arts and sustainability they've reached out and worked with all the different um 
you know, theater, live production arts in the Portland area. You know, they support, you know, PDX Jazz, the center stage out there, and even the op- the Portland Opera. Oh, they're okay. big contributors too. They also have partnered with the Pacific Northwest College of Arts, and they provide a scholarship every year for three individuals. And what they the individuals do is they submit art to go on the labels. Okay. And if they're chosen, they get a you know scholarship to, to go to school, but they also get their art put on the labels. That's cool. Which was really which was really cool. And they have like Argyle actually has a special like line of wine of their sparkling wine that they they actually put the art on and you can buy it through them, which is which I think was really cool. And then as when it comes to sustainability, you know, they started as farmers. So they're really big into low impact farming and making sure that whatever they're taking out, they're putting back in. And they've even opted in, which you might know a little bit more about this, but they've actually opted in for wind power out there in Dundee where they're at. And they've, rather than buying coal or steam power from their power company, they've opted to buy wind power, probably at a little higher rate, but... It right. reduces their carbon footprint and, you know, on their website, it showed in 2019, you know, they bought, they bought so much wind power that it equaled if they were to plant almost 800 trees in a year. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So they're, they're really, really cool. New Belgium and, and Colorado, they do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think their whole facility is run by wind power. Yeah. I think they're a carbon... I think it's I a think, zero. I think footprint. they're a neutral, yeah. a neutral carbon site. Right. You know, they, they're, you know, they're not quite there, but so a little bit about this actual vintage. So since it's a vintage sparkling wine, you know, we can talk about the year in which it was made yeah. and kind of the growing season. You know, they talked about how this growing season was a little bit warmer and they were finished with harvest for the first time ever before October. Wow. So all the stuff where they harvested, they were they were finished before October, and they change the blend every year. But it's always Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Meunier. But they change the the blend every year based on the seed, uh, based on the harvest. And this year is seventy percent Pinot Noir, which is going to be that fruitiness kind of okay. that you get now. Yeah, seventy yeah. or excuse me, twenty percent Chardonnay. So that's going to be some of the roundiness, some of the more tree fruit, and that, a lot of that acidity, and then. 10% Pinot Meunier, which is going to give you some of the darker fruit flavors. It's kind of why, you know, if you think about the fruit profile of this, it's kind of really rounded. You have, you know, stone fruit, tropical fruit, and tree fruit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so Dad, do you know how sparkling wine is actually made? Why don't you tell us? That's something I don't, I really haven't dealt into. So, Argyle, and as well as the Gerard Burchard that we're going to drink here in a little bit are both made in what's called the traditional method or method traditional or method champenoise method of making sparkling wine. And there are seven steps to make it. So the first thing that has happened is they make like regular wine. So they go through the same process, make a wine, blend it together to make what's called a cuvee. Okay. So it's just, at this point, it's just still wine ready to drink. Then they put so it's in. It's already gone through fermentation. Yeah, so it's gone through the first fermentation. Okay. So it is, it is wine at this point. It's no longer grape juice. All right. Um, and with this one, you know, when they aged it, they actually used seventy-five per, or excuse me, ninety-five percent stainless steel and then five percent neutral oak. So not really giving it anything 
mm. extra to it, but it gives it a little bit of roundness. So then they put it into the bottle, and at this point they do what's called triage, and this is where they add a little bit of a little bit of yeast and a little bit of sugar oh, okay. into the bottle, put a crown cap on it or a, a basically a beer bottle cap right on it, and then they let the second fermentation happen. So okay. the triage is where you put in to make the bubbles. The second fermentation is actually where the bubbles happen. So it's not really the wine itself is not really being fermented. It's just that little bit of yeast and that little bit of sugar that's put in there. That's it. The yeast is going to go at it. It's going to autolysize or basically die. And yeah. so while it's doing that, we know that yeast expectorates or CO2 baby. <laughs> out CO2 <laughs> And since it's trapped in the bottle, it's right. not re- being released. And so that's what actually makes the bubbles. Once that yeast dies, then they will age the bottles. Um, champagne, the minimum, I think, is 15 months. Um, and it really depends on your region, your winemaker, and your quality of wine that you're going to for how long it ages on that dead yeast or what's called lees. Now, these are in bottles, not casks. Correct. Well, in this in this method. Okay. There is a method called tank method where yeah, everything's that's done in a big tank. Yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, but this is actually, this is actually done in the bottle, um, and then they're laid down to age on that dead yeast, which gives some of that um, bread, brioche, toasty quality, which this wine has a good bit of. You can even get it on the nose. It's like you took honey and spread it on a brioche bread. A little bit of apricot jam. That's where uh, I kind of get the pommier. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons the pommier would do really good with it because right. it has that bready, sugary quality as to it. So the argyle is actually laid down for three years, which is really that's long, a long time. Which is actually really long. You know, it's longer than some champagnes, even even some high end or you know some of your top end champagnes aren't even laid down for three years. Now, I wonder if that's why the bottle's so dark because they they're laying it down so long. Well, I they don't they don't want that sun or uh, light to get to it. Yeah, most wine is done in in a dark bottle for light reasons. Um, most of the time when they're aged like this though, they're aged in a cave or underground somewhere mm-hmm. where they're not mm-hmm. really going to be exposed to light. That's true. But that is part of it for shipping and all that. When it com- after, so after that, uh, what happens is they have all this lees in the bottle or this dead yeast and this cloudiness, and they want to clarify the wine. So what they do is they do a process called riddling. Riddling is where you slowly turn the bottle from its side and turn it upside down. Uh, Most of the time what happens is it's a quarter turn, or no, an eighth of a turn. turn. An eighth of a turn every day, and it slowly will move that yeast down into the neck into the top of the bottle. Um, Fun fact, the this process and the racks that you see were developed by a widow, which is Veuve in French, mm. uh, the widow Paul Sardin Clicquot. Oh. So it was developed by the Veuve Clicquot, wow. which is a big champagne hat. Have you ever had Veuve Clicquot? Mm. It was developed, it's actually kind of developed by her as a process to clarify the wine quickly and to where she doesn't lose or lose some of the bubbles. Cause usually what they would do is they would turn it upside down, pop it out, 
So you'd lose, you'd mm-hmm. lose some of that and mm-hmm. your wine might not be clear, but she used this process to get a really, really clear wine as a single woman mm-hmm. in the way back in France. So cool little fact about that. After they get it all the way to the crown cap, um, and it's turned all the, straight upside down. They'll use a solution to freeze the top little bit of the bottle where that yeast actually is. When that, and then after they do that, they'll pop the crown cap off and the pressure will pop that piece of ice out. And that's called disgorging. So it'll just disgorge it out. And they kind of, if you've ever seen this done, they take it and they like pop it, hold it up and out it comes. Actually, yeah, it just, it really just like yeah, shoots, just out. shoots out. And then they, you know, winemakers or people who are disgorging will hold their thumb over it to kind of get it under control. And then after that, they, they go to what's called disgorging. This is the last step. Or not disgorging, I'm sorry. Dosage. And this is the last step. This is where they put back in some sugar wine, sugar and wine mixture, and back in, and then they'll bottle it. That sugar and wine mixture is where they get the terms, you know, brute, extra dry, and other things like that in there. Brute is actually very, very dry. It's actually drier than extra dry. So it all depends on, you know, the amount of or the grams per liter of sugar that is in the bottle. Um, This is a brute. It's actually at uh, 6% or it's not 6%. No, it's actually at six grams per liter. Um, So there's not a whole lot of sugar in this. So you get that you still get that acidity, but it's not overly dry where it just kills kind of can kill your palate with the acid. So. So that's kind of the process that, you know, this stuff is going through. So what have you been tasting while I've been talking? Went back to the pump here and some uh, potain. Uh, potain's a lot salty, but with the gravy and the potatoes, it mixes really well with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a very good pairing. I'm not sure how you did that, how you determined that was going to work. I tested it. <laughs> well, the the popcorn's nice, Josh, but this is even better. So you would say the best pairing for what we have right now is the poutine? Yes. I haven't tried a strawberry. I would think that'd be very good. Mm-hmm. So what fruit do you taste? I'm kind of out of a loss on my side here about what fruit it might be. So I definitely get lemon. Yeah, I had the lemongrass earlier. It's like lemon zest. Um, I get some lemon zest. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get lemon zest. I don't really get lemongrass. Um, I get some of that like buttered brioche, honey brioche, honey. Uh, yeah, I get um, the honey. That's right. Some other things I'm tasting are like underripe peach or like really white peach. Um, See, I don't get that. And they also get kind of like some tropical fruit but i can't like place the tropical fruit it's almost like pineapple but it's not quite pineapple it's not pineapple it's not kiwi i don't know what it would be margarita no it's not margarita it's definitely not a margarita <laughs> um but it's really good you know this to me is driven it's driven by citrus fruit and everything else is secondary after that right and after the citrus fruit for me is that brioche honeycomb honey like beeswax kind of taste so what would you say about the finish so i get a lot of sweetness on the front the front of my tongue 
and when I taste it, I have not nearly as much sweet on the back end or the throat of my tongue. Mm-hmm. I mean, this but is the a finish seems to be pretty lingering. Yeah, maybe medium plus or something. Yeah, it hangs around for a while, um, which is really nice. It softens really quickly, though. It does, um, but you can tell, still kind of tell that something's there. I couldn't tell you what I taste at that point, but I can tell, kind of tell it lingers a little bit. So, anything else? Any so, other questions or anything you got about? Well, what do you think about the the pairings? You know, I love the poutine. I mean, I think the poutine is probably the best pairing. You surprised me on that one. I I didn't think you would. You know, we just you when we talked about it last week, you just said French fries, and then here you come in with this gravy already made. I got a text last night about gravy <laughs> and yeah. And then here comes the poutine. I mean, that really worked well. Yeah. And I like, I knew French fries were going to work, but the, From to the me, saltiness, right? yeah. But in like creating an experience of the pairings, I felt it was going to be too similar to the popcorn. Mm-hmm. So I wanted mm-hmm. to do something a little different and I thought, okay, what can I do? But I still wanted to keep it. Oh, I wanted to keep it kind of lowbrow. You know, I kind of wanted to show that you can have anything, you know, we're not going to start up, you know, we don't have to have caviar and, you know, that would go well. I mean, it would, but salty it would, but my point is like, you don't have to have, you can have something, you know, that would be more, you know, lowbrow or common food with it. Back in my early days, I hadn't graduated college yet. And I, I took an interview in Houston, Texas, and they took us to this real fancy restaurant. And man, they had the crackers and this this butter, and we're spreading it on our we're spreading it on our crackers, and man, we just we ate all that down. And I can't remember what we were drinking, hmm. whether we're drinking beer. I think we we're drinking some kind of wine because we were going to have steaks later. Okay, and probably a big red wine, probably. And so the you know the waitress came over and she said, "How are you guys doing?" And I said, "I, I think we'd like some more of that butter." And she said. That's caviar. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Guys so, ate like three ounces of caviar. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think it was uh, Russian sturgeon caviar. <laughs> so it was just. Wait, hold on. It was just on the table. Yeah. Like it wasn't oh, like. Yeah. Oh, here's some well, caviar no, for it, you. It was it, just it sitting was just, there on the table. It was just a little, you know, a little, not, not like a butter dish. But it was just a little, little bit. Yeah, a little tin. Man, I'm going on the wrong interviews, man. The interviews <laughs> I go on now, there's no food, there's no water, there's no nothing. The temperature's well, turned I, up, so you're I sweating. Doubt, I doubt engineering interviews are that way anymore. Oh, yeah, I bet. In the heyday, getting, you know, going out for lunch and drinks, and it was okay to drink on your interview. <laughs> oh, goodness. That was another story. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I go to my, my interview, the first company I actually took, and... And the guys say, "Well, let's let's go to lunch." And I go, "Okay." And there's about six of the guys, and then the, you know, the boss, and they all they all order beers. And I'm looking around, going, "Oh man, I'm on the interview. I better not order a beer." And they go, "Oh, it's just lunch." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Different well, different time, different place, different era. Oh yeah, totally different. Well, where are we? Well, I was going to ask, do you have anything else you want to ask me about no, the Argyle I, or anything? I, I think you really covered it. And like I said, I, 
I don't think I've ever had that sparkling before. And I, the Willamette Dammit Valley mm-hmm. is one of the best in the United States. I mean, totally agree Sonoma with that and Napa, you know, they got their whole thing. But you guys get a chance to go out to Salem, Oregon, and get to Ladamit, do some wine tasting. You'll be so surprised and so happy. Did you guys do some on your on your big Tesla retirement trip? Yes, we did. Where did you guys go? Do you remember? The particular wineries? Yeah. No, I don't remember. Because I remember telling you to stop here. I don't remember if you guys did. Well, Ken and Joan took us to three. Okay. And, you know, we were under their control. Yeah. And I remember actually, you know, thinking about the sustainability and stuff. I remember telling you to stop there because they have chargers. Yeah. They have chargers at their tasting room. So I was like, you should definitely go here. A, it's delicious. B, they got chargers. And C, we want you to bring me some back. So give us a little top of the Thomas. Okay. Because I think our bubbles have maybe dissipated. Well, I've still got, I think I can see some. I still have some good bubbles coming out. Why is Thomas Jefferson on on the label? I don't know, Dad. Why? He was the U.S. minister to France. And I've actually been, I think in Paris it was, they have a statue of him right there in in Paris somewhere. And so this was in, you know, 1789. He was a, a really avid taster and love of this particular wine, at least the wine region. So he enjoyed those wines. He, as the minister of France, I I don't really know what that means. I think it was like the the precursor to ambassador. Ambassador, I think that's true. Yeah. And so this particular wine is one of the ones that's typically in the house here. Mm -hmm. It's a very, it's it's a rosé. So it's got that, you know, kind of pinkish. Yeah, I mean, I call this like salmon pink. Yeah, it's not real, real, real pink. Mm-mm. And now that I have more bubbles, and and the legs are about the same as the wine we just tried. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really good. You know, this is coming from the south of France in Lemoux. Lemoux area? Mm-hmm. And he was a real advocate of the Lemoux area. I think Thomas I, Jefferson was just an advocate of wine. That's probably true. <laughs> you know, there are some stories about some of... You know, Thomas Jefferson's bottles that, you know, have gone down in wine history and wine forging history. Like, he was just a lover of wine, but he definitely loved everything that came out that was really good. This is a really good wine, you know. Coming from Lemoux, which is from the south, in the south of France. And, and this is a vintage one as well. This one says 2017. Right. It's a little bit newer in the, the vintage on the Argyle was 2015. Well, the 2016 is is rated 88, and so I don't I don't know what this one's rated, but it's probably in the same same level. Yeah. So it's very good. I again get that uh, kind of dried straw flavor. Yeah, and I think it's that's not really a lemongrass. Well, but and it's I think kind of yeah, I think that's the um, you know the the autolysized yeast or the lees you know that, that kind of bready straw you know um 
quality that comes out in a lot of, like I see it as bread or toast or brioche, depending on the level of it. And, you know, straw does have that kind of like fret. I mean, especially fresh straw, you know, obviously not used straw, but it has right. that, <laughs> it has that kind of like, you know, you know, wheat, crushed flour, like just has that kind of smell in going on to it, which I think, you know, is really good. And, you know, if you've never been around fresh straw or fresh hay, you know, it has, it has a particular, particular taste. That's, I mean, it's like smell. when somebody cuts the, the grass around, mm-hmm. you get that grass smell. It's like, oh, somebody cut the grass mm-hmm. or the rain came and you get that ozone. Mm-hmm. You, this is a very particular smell that you always remember. Yeah. Now, I get a little yellow apple with it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I get a lot of, I get that too. I also get, for me, it's a lot of like white it, cherry. It seems a little strange because the, the wine <laughs> itself is, is pink. Yeah, but I mean, if depending on what grapes they're using, if they're using like Chardonnay, you know, apple is a is kind of one of those markers of Chardonnay. Um, but I definitely get like white cherry, uh, like white Rainier cherries on this, the height of summer, which is really good. Um to- like I, for me this is more toast more bread rather than like brioche it's not as sweet it's not as eggy right that makes sense it's kind of just that more of a standard like toast and bread uh, toast and butter so, so i'm sure the palmier would go well with it yeah even though that's what you chose for yours i'm gonna give it a little taste see oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah but definitely apple man that's so like elegance not the right word because, well, it's it's classy, classy. There's a yeah, that's a good. You know, elegant. You know, as me trying to describe things. You know, elegant is you know like an elevated level of of you know refinement. This is refined, but it doesn't feel super elevated. It's not snuffy. It's not pretentious. You know, it just it tastes it tastes kind of classy. It's very classy for the price point. Oh my I mean, God. we're talking like. $23 and maybe you can get it at less than that on, on sale. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really good. So this is from Gerard Burchard. Um, do you have any notes of what grapes are in it? I'm going to have to look that up. I see it actually here on the bottle. It so it's, is on the bottle. it's 65% Chardonnay. There you go. There you go. 20% Chenin Blanc and then 15% Pinot Noir. So we're adding a new grape. Chenin Blanc is, um, if you've ever had Vouvray, um, it's a little bit of a, it can present as a little bit of a sweeter grape. So I think it's the Chardonnay and the Chenin are giving you that yellow apple. And you know, <clears throat> Chardonnay, kind of flavor to it. you know, back in the day when somebody say, here's a Chardonnay, I'd turn my nose up and it'd be that oaky yeah. Chardonnay. And I'd go, no, I don't need cream corn, <laughs> but Chardonnay on that stainless steel yeah. is a whole lot of difference. Whoever's blended these, I mean, they've done so well. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's really good. You know, it's a very, very well balanced. And I'm trying to see here on the bottle if it says anything about how long it sits. So we know that we've, from, from our first episode when we talked about rosé, we know that the the colors coming from the skins of the grape, right? And so, 
you know, they're letting that Pinot Noir sit on the grape a little bit to get that color, but it's not very long. This is about the same color. It may actually even be a lighter than it is actually. Well, I can see you have a bottle of the Whispering Angel in the in the wine rack over there. But yeah. it, this is actually lighter in color than the Whispering Angel. Right. Well, I'm going to get into some of this duck confit nacho. Yeah. So, uh, confit, do you know what that is, Josh? You're the you're the cook. Duck confit? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a dish made with a whole whole duck, right? It can be. It's yeah, it mostly can done be. With, it's mostly now done just with the leg, the leg quarter. And uh, Gastonia, according to the family's, uh, the tradition of duck confit, all the pieces of the duck were used. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think now they just use the 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 hind quarter, the, yeah, duck, leg, quarter. the duck leg quarters. But it, it's it's a very traditional French use. Uh, they rub it with salt and garlic, and then they cook it in the duck fat. Yeah, poach it in duck fat. Yeah. Mm. So, and refrigerate it up to you know 36 hours or whatever that's a long time so what he's got here is a nacho it's a nacho that's made by one of our local breweries here called flyway and it's a duck confit nacho so there's shredded duck confit on top of a chip with like colby jack cheese on it and you know French people are probably rolling over in their graves that there's a duck confit nacho with cheese on top of it but it is so good. No, the confit's on top of the cheese. Well, anyway, there is cheese. The same thing. Cheese. There is there is Colby Jack cheese with duck confit, but it is so stinking good. Like it, it just okay. Sparkling wines, in the way I describe them, are always going to be high tones. They are racy in acidity. They're going to be high fruit. They're going to be underripe fruit a lot of the time so much acid lovely delicious but if you're a music person you know you can't make a chord with only high notes you have to have a bottom you have to have some middle and bottom notes to ride it out this duck confit just gives it some of those bottom notes some of that roundness and they actually have like a it's a like a cherry salsa right well, wait, I have a salsa. What is, what is that salsa that they have with it? Do you um, remember what it's, it's called? It's red. I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but it's very, very spicy. Uh, they also serve with the uh, duck confit carrots, and those carrots are so spicy. Yeah, with a, <laughs> they call them firecracker carrots. They, yeah, and so that is a little much for me. Yeah, but I think, like, but just that, like, that cherry flavor that's in the wine, like, kind of compliments it and just rounds rounds out this really really well so did you know that confit is served in like 10 cans and you can have that 10 can for years i have never known that actually i didn't either no, it's like, <laughs> so it's like can, it's canned in the duck fat yeah so take that on a long trip bring I mean, that out if i'm ever making a survival shelter i'm gonna stack it with duck confit yeah right <laughs> forget the pork and beans i'm just gonna have duck confit down there this is really good dad oh it's a it's a excellent you know it's a go-to you know the mm-hmm. whispering angel is a go-to 
It's almost always in the house. Mm -hmm. This one's a go-to. It's almost always in the house. I was a red wine guy. That's all I wanted to drink. And then Josh worked at a little wine bar, and he helped not only me, but lots of other patrons, if you will. Here, try this. Here, try that. Here, try this other thing. And it's like, Josh, I don't want to try that Chardonnay. Here, Dad, try it. Like I said, it wasn't it wasn't in that oak. It was in stainless steel, so I didn't get the cream corn. I wouldn't even tell. Sometimes I wouldn't even tell people what it was. I just be like just here, just try it. Here, try this. I just just try this and tell me what you think. And if you don't like it, I'll never serve it to you again because I didn't want the preconceived notions. Because I am like a lot of people. You know, if you tell me it's a Chardonnay, I'm going to have a certain, be like, I don't well, like, that's like what, it. That's what happens sometimes in our, our blinding. You get this preconceived notion of what, what you're tasting, and it's like, you're done. Mm-hmm. You missed it. Yeah. So what about the finish? What do you what do you think? You know, it kind of really, it really holds on to it. Um, but it's definitely more of that, like, cherry. To me, it's like kind of that bright cherry juice uh, or white white cherry juice. Like it just, it reminds me of eating Rainier cherry. Like if I'm really thinking about it and I'm going to put like a specific to it, you know, Marie, my sister, his daughter lives up in Seattle and, you know, I've been a visitor and we've had fresh Rainier cherries and it like, that's what, to me, that's just what it tastes like. It's that bright, light cherry flavor. It's really, really good. I don't really get the cherry flavor, but I get, uh, you know, orchard flavors from different fruits so what fruits are you getting well i get some i get the apples i get uh what would be a yellow orchard flavor like a pear a pear or apple so i get that yeah a kumquat well that's technically citrus that would be a technical technically be citrus but you know mango mango would be another yellow that but it would possibly transfer over to so the sweetness on the front is less than the wine that you had, but the sweetness on the back mm-hmm. of this one is more. Yeah. And it they linger about the same time period. Mm-hmm. They're both really good wines. And, you know, like we said, the 20 or whatever dollars... You can't go bad. Yeah, it's really good. Have you tried the salmon? I have not tried the salmon yet. Okay. I've been snuck at, snacking on the duck pumpy. All right. Once you talk a while, I'll eat. Yes, yeah, so this is really good. So something about you know, you know, with Thomas Jefferson and Lemu themselves, you know, Cremont in Lemu, it's. It's kind of famed to be one of the first places that they've actually ever done sparkling wine. And, you know, we call this a Cremant because it is made in France, but it's not coming from the Champagne region. So sparkling wines that are made in France that are not from the Champagne region are called Cremants. One of my favorite regions to drink Cremants from is actually Alsace. Cremant Alsaces are super, are very, very good. And if, if it were up to me, I would have, you know, if I didn't want to kind of branch out a little bit and, you know, get out of Europe for our wine stuff and because there's great stuff out elsewhere, I probably would have gotten a, I probably would have gotten a Cremant Alsace, which is, you know, 
but there, you know, there are sparkling wineries, you know, sparkling wines from almost most of the regions in France, you know, there's a Cremant de Bourguignon, which is really good. There's Cremant de Bordeaux. There's a lot of places we'll take some of their fruit and, and make sparkling wine out of it because, you know, it sells really well. And I mean, it's delicious stuff. It's very, it's very delicious. There's no doubt about that. So how's the uh, salmon? It works well with it. Mm-hmm. I like salmon. Maybe that's not your best taste. But the smokiness doesn't distract from the sweetness. And then the sweetness of the salmon fits right in. So tell us about the actual spread that's on the salmon. Well, <laughs> it, <laughs> it was store-bought. <laughs> it's not something I made. But, you know, we like salmon spread. Um, you can buy it at different grocery stores. Uh, you so can, it's you a... Can buy, you could buy a crab spread. Probably so, about the same. Right, but this is a, it's a smoked salmon spread that you bought? That's right. Right. So it's got smoked salmon. It's got smoked salmon in it. It looks like it's got some. It's got some spices. Some onion, in there. some I'd tomato. Have to look at the, yeah. Well, it's really good. That smoky flavor is. You like that? I'm a little surprised. I wouldn't say I like it. Oh. I mean, I took a little bite of it. I'm not a big fish guy. Right. I ruined you on that, right? Well, no, I think my own palate ruined that. <laughs> I don't enjoy going fishing, you know. Right. But that's a whole another that's a whole another story. That's the whole thing about insanity. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't really enjoy fishing. Um I'd rather, you know, be sitting on the bank reading a book or right. Or <laughs> floating down the floating down the river or taking pictures, but you know, I think it was the when the bluegill actually, you know, spiked me through the you know in the in my hand when I caught a fish that kind of really oh that hurt dude yeah it kind of kind of uh, lessened my want to go catch another fish because it's well just you hurt. don't like to eat them so yeah and that's the other the thing point? Is, you know I don't I don't really like to eat them you know I don't so it's kind of like well you know it's just catch and release and it's like well why did I catch it if I'm just gonna put it back right but I little I really like uh, you know the label mm-hmm. and it's like we said before Thomas Jefferson's on it so. You're looking in the liquor store and you're walking down that aisle with sparklings. Look for Thomas Jefferson. He's right there on the label. And I mean, Gerard Bertrand is a really good maker of wine. They do a ton, a ton of different wines out of the south of France in different regions. You know, they do a Corbiere, they do a Cosmos, which is a big blend from a lot of their stuff. And they're almost always really, really good deals. You know, the south of France are. Sud de France, which right. Sud means south, is a, you know a great region to find some deals in wine because, like you said, this was you know twenty, twenty two, twenty three dollars, right? And you know I've had a bottle of their wine for you know five to fifteen dollars. You know, draw Bouchard, different stuff, but and they they also do a a brut, just an, a non rosé of this, right? Right. You know the. The cooler elevation, I think, is one of the keys, too. Same thing as uh, Willamette Valley. Yeah, and being down there near the Mediterranean, getting some of that breeze going, coming in probably right. helped, too. So that uh, sparkling, you know, I, I guess they all need that cooler cooler weather. Is that right, Josh? Well, it depends on the grape. So, I mean, Bordeaux is not known to be cooler, and they do sparkling. The traditional, or the... 
when you think of sparkling wine, you think of champagne, the, those traditional grapes do better in a colder climate. Champagne was before global warming, kind of at the edge of where you could really expect good quality sparkling wine to come from because it was at the kind of the limit or the edge of where grapes would really grow. So most of the grapes that are done, you know, really enjoy that cooler, colder climate. You know, Alsace is a cooler, colder climate. Oregon, South France has some of those cooler nodules in it. So most of the grapes that do really well, because you want a lot of acidity. Right. That Because of that second fermentation, the bubbles. So w- to have that acidity, you want to find a colder climate. Well, and Gerard Burchard... He was born and raised in south of France, mm-hmm. making wine with his father well, yeah. since he was 10 years old. Wow. So the guy's got to know a little bit about winemaking, right? Mm-hmm. And not only are they making uh, this wine, they're making red, whites, rosés. Yeah, south of France has a, a lot a lot going on. They can make They make pretty much everything down there. Well, the truffle, the chocolate truffle, Uh-oh. is really good with it, too. It that. kind of, it's good, but it kind of kills the fruit. Really? Yeah. It goes, because um, these are dark chocolate, I'm assuming, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. 60%. They're 60% cacao. Right. So, you know, the, the bitterness kind of calms down some of that, that sweetness and kind of cuts a little bit of the fruit, but it's still really good. Mm-hmm. Go with it. So. Anything else you want to tell us about this wine? You know, I'm trying to... I love these bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> I've not really been such a champagne person. Right. Like I said, I'm really more the red wine. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how the sparkling's made already. So why do we like these bubbles, Josh? Because they're good. I mean, I'm a big proponent of bubbles every day. Like, it's not just a special occasion one. It's so versatile. It's going to be good with. It's going to be good with anything that you put in front of it. Well, especially this this time of year when it's so hot. Yeah. You know, you know, one of our friends taught us and we're not doing that tonight, but you you put your you put your wine into that cooler with the ice on the bottom. You put your glasses sometimes in the freezer. Mhm. And then you can sit out on your patio in the 90 degree weather yep. you're still fine drinking the sparkling or a champagne oh yeah you know i i just i think it's i think it's undervalued and people try and pigeonhole it but you know we have two we have two bottles here that are under 25 dollars, and that's a great deal i mean that's cheaper cheaper than some of the wine that you could buy out there for every day and you know they would go with almost anything you're going to put in front of them Right, and as we said, we don't, you know, I, I love the Champagne Flutes. They they have a place in the world. Yeah. You know, it's your, it, you're at some event where everybody's drinking champagne, mm-hmm. everybody's got the flute. That's great. Well, yeah, and they were, you know, they were developed to show off the bubbles. That's they right. Weren't, they weren't actually developed to enhance the wine. They were developed to show the bubbles, which is what they do. These glasses we're using... They show off the bubbles, mm-hmm. not necessarily as as extreme, mm-hmm. but 
like you said earlier, you can put your nose in there. You get the you get the bubbles in your nose. Can actually you get, get the that taste. wonderful smell. Yep. Well, Dad, are we ready to do the blind? Only if you are. I mean, I'm ready. Give me a give me a moment. So, Dad, do you have anything more about this wine? Well, I do. You know, a champagne or a sparkling, you want to serve it at the right temperature. So ideally, you're going to serve it about 55 degrees. So that's pretty cool. Um, sparkling wine down to 40 to 50. No, no lower than that. So you got to be careful. You don't want to put it in the refrigerator and it be too cold. Right. So I don't know if the listeners have one of these wine coolers, but mm-hmm. if you do, that's what you want to use. And that way you can get your wine at the right temperature. Yeah, and if if you don't have a wine cooler and you keep your wine in the fridge, that's fine. Just pull it out about 15 minutes before you're going to serve it, and that will allow it to warm up a little bit. That's Um, right. That temperature that he's talking about is what's called cellar temperature, and you can do that with your reds too. Put your reds in in the fridge for a little bit. Let them cool down. Whites, pull them out of the fridge a little bit before you're going to serve. Let them warm up, and that's going to be – that'll kind of enhance – You'll be able to notice things a little bit more. So you ready to do the blind? Or you got you got anything more about your wine? No, I'm ready to do the blind. All right. So, Josh, I, I have a list here of the Court of Master Sommiers. Mm-hmm. And I took a wine off that list. And actually, it's a two-page list. Yep. So <laughs> you, you've got a lot of choices here to try to figure it out. Yeah, so like he said, we're using the advanced list. From the Quartermaster Sommiers. Um, it's what I'm most used to, which is why we're using it. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So, this wine is a red wine. Oh, man, you're cheating already. I can see it. Um, it is a, I'd say, kind of a medium. A medium to deep concentration of kind of a ruby uh, going out to a regular watery, watery meniscus. There's no real evidence of gas or sediment. In the wine. Um, the, so did you hold it against a white paper to kind of get the right color? I did. Okay. Um, the legs. The legs on this wine are, I'd say, kind of medium. And they're nice legs. But I agree with you. Medium. What about the nose? There's a little bit of staining. There's a little bit of staining in the, in the tears, which tells me about the extraction level of the grape. Um, so on the... Extraction nose. level, what does that mean? So how much, uh, how dark the skins are, so when it gets pressed or how long oh, okay. it kind of sits right. on that. All right, Kind of helps me, it helps me kind of narrow down the grape a little bit. Um, on the nose, there's no real faults in this wine. It's a moderate intensity. It seems kind of youthful. There's a bunch of floral. Oh, yeah. Bunch of floral notes on it. it. Definitely like dried Dried violets, fresh violets, almost a little bit of rose on it as well. Underneath that, there's some black fruit, blackberry, black cherry. I love that. (laughs) Almost a little bit of blueberry or like jammy. Blueberry? Yeah. All right. It's like jammy raspberry. Jammy. That's that's my word too. There's no real like earthiness jumping out to it there's a little bit of like it's a little bit of like veg vegetalness coming through a little bit of 
like a little bit of earthiness, but not really. No real like characteristic of rock or stone or crushed stone or wet stone on it. So when I drink it, ooh, acid is definitely medium plus on this. Alcohol is medium plus. Not a whole lot of tannin on it either. Um, not a whole lot of pulling. It's definitely like balanced toward the fruit. There's definitely still that blackberry, that jammy blackberry, the blueberry, jammy raspberry. Mm. It's really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost like a like a cassisiness to it as well. The floridity is still there. A um, little bit of. Almost like a little bit of like mintiness or eucalyptus, eucalyptus. No, I didn't get kinda, that kind of taste on it. How did you um, get that? Dried herb, definitely has some dried herbs on it. Um, there's still no real like rocky, stony characteristic on it. No real flint, no real steel. There's definitely some wood aging on it. There's some baking spices, some clove, allspice, a little bit of vanilla. Any breadiness? No, it's no real barniness or bread. I mean, there's there's a little bit of bread back there, but I have to find it. Mm. Yeah, tannin is definitely medium to medium minus. It's definitely balanced toward the fruit. It's kind of complex. Um, finish is pretty. Finish is pretty long. Medium plus to long. So I think this is a new world. I think this is a new world wine. I think it is Cab. I think it could be, uh, it could be Merlot. It could be Zinfandel. Um, could be Syrah. Could be New World Syrah. So possible countries: United States, Chile, Australia. Um, could be Malbec. Let me think about this for a second. A lot of floridity. I'm going to add Malbec to the possible varieties. Oh, yeah? Uh, Malbec? Malbec always tricks me. Okay. Yeah. Um, My final conclusion on this one is that it is a Malbec. It is from Argentina, from the Mendoza area, from the Mendoza region. I think this is probably a 2000. Oh, they've harvested in 2017. So I'd say this is a 2017 of a high-quality producer. So that's my guess in Argentinian Malbec. So Argentinian Malbec, yep, we'll 2017. Have, yep, we'll have to uh, come back next week to uh, figure out what it was. And next week's going to be a beer podcast, and we're going to be doing Oktoberfest beer. It's finally Oktoberfest time, and one of my favorite times oh, yeah, baby. of all when it comes to beer. So, Dad, what are you going to be doing next week? I'm doing Lost 40 Hunter Oktoberfest. Mm, so good. Yes. And we have the Stein to go with it. Exactly. What are you going to be pairing with it? Sauerkraut and Brockwurst balls. Okay. And bite-sized Fracadelli. Frackendelli. Oh, I don't. I don't know that I know how to pronounce that. But I'll, I'll have to cook it. Okay, we'll put out what it's. We'll, it's really a, a meatball. Is what it really okay. is. Okay, okay, and we'll put out. And this what are you doing? So I'm going to be doing the Spot in Oktoberfest. I'm going to be doing some Comte cheese, just regular 
comte cheese with it. I'm gonna have is some that a white cheese or yeah, it's a it's an aged cheese from France. Yeah, I'm going to see if I could get my dad to maybe make some ribs. I'll help him with it for the Oktoberfest or some grilled. We'll do some grilled chicken with it, and then to kind of put a little twist on it, I'm gonna do some pot stickers. Some Asian pot stick, some Asian how, how pork. Is, how, whoa, I don't know. You, 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 we're gonna have to. Oktoberfest and pot stickers. Exactly. I'm trying. What? To, I'm trying to show that it's not just a Eurocentric beer. All right. So we're well. gonna do. We're gonna do some pot. We're gonna do some pot stickers with it as well. So it's gonna be a really good podcast. I'm super excited. Like I said, like we said, it's it's Stein season. It's one of my favorite beers, and I know it's one my dad really enjoys as well. So, I'm so super we're going excited. to do a liter each? Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe we need to wait for the 100th episode when we just get drunk and chit-chat. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so, uh, once again, uh, thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to give us a review. We'd love to see the reviews that are coming out. And I want to thank Dave for dropping a good review in. Yeah, thank you, and Dave. It's so great. Um, we'd love to see the stars on your favorite platform. platform. Um, also don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The big one that I'm going to start using is Instagram. We'll be start saving the stories so you can follow along and go back with us with what we're going to be eating and drinking. We want to, po- we want to post the wines plus the food so you can listen to the podcast with the appropriate food. Cause that is so much fun. Like I said, last yeah. week, uh, my wife and I did one with, uh, Josh and, uh, Maggie and it was so much fun. You had had the right food, the right wines, and it's it's just a great time. Yeah. So Instagram is the main platform that that we use to kind of hold all that, so that you can follow us at Acquired Tastings on Twitter. We're at Acquired Tasting, and on Facebook we're Acquired Tastings. So don't forget to follow us on those platforms. Give us a rating. Give us a shout out. We love uh, reaching out. I've actually had chit chats with our listener out in Lithuania, which has been great to have kind of that conversation with, you know, I ran into Dave and Catherine and we had a good conversation about the podcast. It's just, it's really good to connect with you guys. Cause that's what this is all about is making that community and connecting. And I know some Norwegians are listening. Guys. Oh yeah. 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 So I know. All right. Well, once again, I'm Josh Mills and this is John Mills and this was acquired tasting. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.